Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Side Hustles and Stuff podcast, episode three. My name is Yuri, and I'm joined by Keishi. Hi, Yuri. How are you? Hey, Keishi. How are you doing? Not bad. It's pretty hot today, but I'm otherwise doing well. What are you drinking? Tea again, as always. <laughs> <laughs> Tea again. I got the, yes, again, black coffee from the vending machine. So this this show is brought to you, well, not by, by the black coffee in my vending machine. This this show is brought to you by SideHustlesAndStuff.com. And guys, if you want to check out all the links, all the books that we will mention inside this podcast, go to SideHustlesAndStuff.com forward slash E3. That's the full word, SideHustlesAndStuff.com forward slash E3. And today we're talking about 10 failed projects and the lessons learned. So Keishi, why are, why are we talking about failure? Yeah, well, I, I guess as anybody would agree, I think failure is inevitable. And I think at times it can be really discouraging, especially depending on how the failure takes place. So I think there are some failures that are fully out of your control. Let's say um, you started an Amazon site and you get it to whatever, $5,000 a month and Amazon suddenly cuts their program, cuts their commissions and um, your site goes from $5,000 a month to 1000 or 2000 essentially overnight. So there's that kind of failure and there's really not much to learn from that other than um, maybe you should diversify better. But then there's the other kind of failure where it's usually because of something you did or something you didn't do or because of something that your business partner did or didn't do. And I think those are the failures that you can learn a lot from. And those are also most mainly the failures that we'll be talking about today, I believe. Yeah. I think we're also talking about failure because failure and success are just two results that you can get from simply trying stuff. You try one thing, it doesn't work. You try another thing and it works. So it's, it's just a natural result of trying and taking action. I agree because, well, you, you can't succeed without trying and um, you can't try without failing. So failing is just a natural part of the whole process of trying to figure out your side hustle or trying to figure out your business or pretty much anything. Yeah, and if anything, it kind of gives you an answer of what to do next, right? There's that quote by Henry Ford. What is it? Yeah, I think essentially just to paraphrase him, um, failure is the opportunity to start again with a bit more information. So essentially just failure, failure gives you something to look back at and um, it's, it's, it's in a way a cautionary tale that just tells you, oh, don't do this again. It doesn't have to be a cautionary tale. If anything, it just tells you, just do it a little more like that next time. It doesn't have to be like a giant fire that brings the whole building down. So that's why today we're going to talk about 10 of our failed projects and the lessons learned. Yeah, why don't you start with yours? I think you've got a cool one to get started with right off the bat. To kind of set the scene for the listeners, um, some of these failures are big. Some of them are very small. The, po- the whole point of this is not for you to look at us and be like, oh, wow, look at those great big failures. You guys tried hard. Some of these failures are very simple and maybe you can relate with them. So in my opinion, the point here is for you to look at it and be like, oh, wow, I probably did some of that too, which means I'm not too far off from Yuri and Keishi, which means I could probably do this too. So with that being said, uh, (laughs) the very first story starts off with uh, creating music with a coworker. So so Keishi, this is nothing special to brag about, (laughs) but um, this is a coworker and I. We were talking at lunch one day about um, how a lot of love songs are very um, 
direct. They always talk about the action, but there's not much foreplay in there. You know, it's not, it's all action, action, action. So we wanted to put that into lyrics and I don't know why. It was just a stupid idea between two guys at the time. So we recorded two songs. He's the producer and I was the voice. So that was the first inspiration. It was just having that talk with a friend. And the second inspiration came from an audio engineer that we also had at work. He was very, very cranky. He hated everything and everyone. Nice. Hopefully he's not listening now. I hope not. But, but he was a nice guy. Yeah. One time I was called in to do a recording and he does the audio editing. And then he just looks to me and says, wow, you have a really good voice. <laughs> this is the first time anyone ever told me that. I was a little shocked because he's, you know, he hates everything, but this is the first time he kind of likes something. So that was kind of the second inspiration. I don't know if I have a good voice. Uh, it's not something I can decide. But so those are the two inspirations for us to do music and kind of put that out there. We put out two songs and that was it. So I would consider the failure there was we didn't keep going, Keishi. So like we we stopped. Yeah. I think the co-workers concern was that I didn't have high quality uh, equipment to record with. And okay. on my end, I had no system or a plan to keep going. I just thought, let me put some stuff out there. So here's a note that I want to make um, after we recorded this podcast. I want to add another reason for failure. And um, the whole point is, even though I might have gotten a compliment on my voice that does not equate to actually being talented or being good at making music. So I wish that's something we uh, explored further in this podcast, but in my opinion, it is a major or probably the biggest reason of failure is uh, just because someone complimented me on my voice. That doesn't mean that I'll probably go on to make good music or uh, know exactly what I'm doing because I didn't know what I was doing at that time. And that's kind of important with side hustles. You got to know what you're doing. You got to have a, an ability. And in music, your product is essentially you, you, the creator. If you're not good, then you're not selling anything. So later on, we're going to talk about the importance of equip again, the importance or the lack of importance of having the right equipment. But we definitely missed the mark on simply me not being talented or me not having had any practice or having been to a vocal coach or singing coach. So just wanted to point that out. The biggest point of failure was <laughs> me not having any talent. So there you go, guys. Just wanted to be honest up front. So yeah, I, I think um, not having a, a solid plan in place is oftentimes a reason to fail in these projects, uh, especially if you're busy with other stuff and then you're kind of just floating. Yeah. Um, especially if you're working on side hustles and you're kind of doing it alongside other things, then unless you have some sort of plan that says, I'll publish a new song every month or I'll publish a new article every week, it gets really hard to keep keep up with this with this sort of thing because um, it's kind of easy to be distracted by other priorities. So I, I think that's a ver very valid reason of failure. But at, at, at the same time, um, I think you're mentioning the equipment. I think that's an excuse that a lot of people take to just stop things. And, and you see it with everything. You see it with um, people trying to start blogs and they just don't have the perfect logo or the perfect WordPress theme. Or um, you see people starting a YouTube channel and then saying they don't have the latest DSLR or whatever latest video camera to record their things with. Or like in your case, um, you want to start, an, start a podcast or start a music channel or 
start recording songs and you don't have the correct mixer or whatever the, all the equipment you need is. And really, in my mind, they're just, they're just an excuse. I think there, there's been a lot of podcasts started with um, nothing more than an iPhone mic. There's been a lot of YouTube channels started with with nothing more than an iPhone camera. And there's been a lot of blogs started without any logo. And if, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think one of your blogs still has no logo. <laughs> one of my blogs? Oh, no. Or all of them. Maybe, maybe I'll fix that in five years when I start to care. I don't know. Yeah. But the whole point is it's not important. It's not one of those things that moves the needle. Exactly. And it's not like you can't go back to it and try to fix it, but just don't let it, um, just getting it become reason to stop something. Yeah. I think it's always more of an excuse because you just don't feel like doing the project rather than a valid reason for yeah. ending. So in my case, the reason for failure was simply we stopped and I stopped. And I guess the the lesson here is, you know, have a system or a plan to keep going when something unplanned goes your way. You know, like last time we talked about you have to, a lot of unplanned things will happen and you have to learn how to adjust to that. And I, I didn't have that idea in my mind at the time. So that's my story. Yeah, I, th I think th there's a great story. And I think, yeah, just having, just keep just to keep going and just to go back for a second to the equipment part, I think all you have to do is just find your favorite YouTuber and look at their very first video. And if they're any sort of half famous at this point, their first video was probably very, very low quality. And one of my favorite examples in this case is um, there's this guy that reviews a lot of tech and maybe a lot of you know them, uh, maybe a lot of you know him. His name is Marcus Brownlee. He's got this YouTube channel with 11 million subscribers and all his new stuff is really, really great production quality. But if you go back to his very first video, it's shot with a, I don't think it's even like a nice iPhone camera. It's like a really crappy quality and it's like a maybe a 15 or 17 or something year old kid just talking to his camera and just look where he took it. So don't let um, the lack of equipment stop you from recording. As long as you have a mic, or as long as you have a camera, whatever that is, you can get something going. Yeah, so let, let's start yeah. on a lighter note. So, so when, what's your story? When Brexit first kind of made it into the news, it was still back when I was every now and then looking at um, 9GAC. So I'm sure you know the website um, where you can find a lot of memes about different topics. And I thought it would be a great, great, great idea to start a similar site that was yeah. just focused on the idea of Brexit or the idea of countries exiting from the European Union. So I registered a domain as one does when one gets a new idea. And it was it was like um, euxit.me. So essentially, um, it, it was to say that I'm just take me out of the European Union. It's not like I'm into politics or anything, but I just thought it would be a fun trend to kind of try to ride along on. And um, yeah, that, that, that kind of ended like your music project, maybe even a bit sooner. And um, it ended after getting maybe three or four pictures up. And and after having the domain, of course, and paying for it for a year. Yeah, so, so that was like a really kind of uh, spur-of-the-moment project. I just decided to do it one evening and essentially had the domain and had the first few pictures up like within the next two or three hours. Hmm. But then I totally lost interest in it. It was one of those things that just reminded me that whatever you do, you should have at least some sort of interest in it. Like, I don't, I don't think you have to be really passionate about the subject. And arguably, in some cases, it might even be better not to be passionate about the subject because when you're passionate about something, you tend to do a lot of irrational decisions for which there's not much space in side hustles and business, I guess. But um, it was a good reminder of the fact that 
you have to have some sort of interest in the subject or otherwise the initial enthusiasm will always expire, whatever project it is. And to keep pushing through, you just really need at least very, very slight interest in the subject or like the willingness to learn about the subject or something like that. You, you can just pick a random topic and turn it into success usually. Yeah. There's no overnight success anyway. Yeah, that. And and again, I, I think the main point is that uh, enthusiasm usually expires. And, and it's kind of, it's like a cycle. It expires, comes back, expires, come back. But unless it's something that you're at least sort of interested in, you will stop in one of those downturns of downturns of enthusiasm, I'd say. But I think it's kind of normal. You know, we all have spurts of interest in some things. Some things are worth pursuing. Some things are not. I think it's natural for everyone. I'm pretty sure the listener is probably thinking like, oh, yeah, I started this and I started that. And then my interest went out. I, I think losing interest is fine. But in this case, it was like losing interest. We did like four hours of starting the thing. <laughs> so, so it was probably more an issue of it was probably more an issue of choosing the topic or just um, being too impulsive with starting a project rather than just losing enthusiasm. Yeah, so let's move on. I think you've got another blog for us to talk about. Story number three, a Japanese blog about entrepreneurship. And this is um this is a blog I started back in school, in college, in Temple. It was called Yokudeki.com. <laughs> and the inspiration came from, I guess I was listening to a lot of podcasts on entrepreneurship. And I realized that, you know, the Japanese internet didn't have much stories on entrepreneurship. So one day I went to one professor, Professor Swinton, and I was like, hey, I have this idea for a website. <laughs> and he told me three nice words. They were, just do it. And I was like, oh, okay. It's like he gave me permission. I was like, oh, okay. And then I went on and I did it. So essentially what it was, was I would look up stories of how famous companies got started, like Google, Yahoo, Apple. And I would write up those articles. And I had a friend also doing it with me. So I would write it up in English. They would translate it into Japanese and I'll publish it. So the whole uh, blog was all in Japanese. And it was, I think, gaining quite a bit of traction. We threw up AdSense on the site. I think we made maybe 10 yen or something. There was definitely traffic coming in. That's a good start. We had traffic coming in. Like if you check Google Analytics, we did one on Steve Jobs and someone <laughs> was searching for Steve Jobs doing drugs and they landed on our site. And I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> Unfortunately, like you say, you know, enthusiasm kind of wanes and that waning came from my friends. Like at that point, we had two friends doing it, doing the Japanese content. I would create English, they would turn it into Japanese, I would post it up and they, I guess, no longer had interest in it. So that was the reason for failure. And in a way, I kind of regret it because it's one of these things where if you just keep at it, it'll continue growing. So if I still had it today, it would have probably been something. And I guess the lessons here are, again, have a system in place on how to keep going and what's the next step. The second lesson would be don't rely too much on friends, especially if they're doing work for free. Yeah, I think the relying on friends, I think in general, trying to do like a 50-50 or 30-30-30 sort of partnerships is really, really hard. And like from my own observation of different people and different businesses, I think it's probably one of the diff- one of the most difficult things that you can actually do and i think if you add like friends or family to it it gets that much more complication to it and if you add no money to it then it just complicates it even further L- like let's say if you go out with a friend and um raise 10 million dollars and you're taking salary out of the 10 million dollars and things like that i think it's pretty easy to keep going but then if you're just 
trying to start a project like a blog where, and I think that's something what our listeners should be aware of. Like, um, it's not something where you started today and you've got like $500 at the end of month too. It's something that you start today. You have to keep on working on for hours and hours and hours and see no results essentially. And then just the traction starts building up faster and faster. And I think it's really easy to give up in this, in the part where you're just waiting for the traction to start essentially. Yeah. And then when, when you're doing it with two or three people, you just have two or three different points of failure where one just can become frustrated with there being no progress or, or one just losing interest in the project because either because they have something else going on or because they just don't want to be patient anymore to kind of see it through. Yeah. And they don't share your same vision. So they're not as invested as you would be with your own project. Because technically it's your project, not their project sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And especially in this case, um, I don't know, it's, it's your project, so I'm not sure. But it just sounds to me like um, essentially you were kind of the driving force behind it and you were doing a lot of the creative work and things like that. And then a large part of the other guy's work was just taking the stuff that you wrote and translating it into, into Japanese. But some of it was, but they did post up their own original content, you know, it just didn't matter at that time. Yeah, in, in that case, I guess it's just a kind of misalignment of priorities and just kind of the steam running out, essentially, right? Yeah, and if you don't have a system in place on how to keep that steam going, that steamship will uh, stop and sink. Kind of ironic in a way, because I think when you're working on a project on your own, it's kind of really easy to start slacking off and be like, yeah, whatever, I'll just keep posting this week and I'll post next week and things like that. Whereas when you add somebody else to it, there's some sort of accountability. But then um, I guess it can go either way. Like yeah. either it can work really well or it, it just makes for two really weak um, links in the chain. On the flip side, I still think there's a lot of positives to starting things with friends, even if some of my kind of lessons are don't rely on them too much. The big positive is that it's a lot easier to do projects with someone else versus by yourself. It's a lot easier to get started. And sometimes all you need to know is how to get started. And if they fall off, you can probably repeat that process again. So I think there's still a lot of value in doing things with friends. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think like this podcast, um, I've been thinking about starting a podcast about business or about side hustles and things like this pretty much forever. But especially I think when it comes to putting out your voice or putting out a video of yourself or things like that, it's always better to have like some other person that kind of is in with you together because it, it can be pretty scary to just go at it by yourself. Yeah, they give you the courage. So it's, like, it's not like you're alone and you're going to get hit with the criticism. It's the both of us. <laughs> yeah, it, so it's, it's exactly. It's it kind of diffuses the... <laughs> The possibility for negative feedback. It's not that Keishi is at fault. Yuri's at fault here too. I take the blame too. All right. So that was story number three, uh, yokudeki.com. So the next one is also a blog, but it's yours, right? Story number four. Yes, yeah, story number four. And if you've listened to either of the previous episodes, you probably know that I'm an aircraft enthusiast. So it's no surprise that I probably own like half a dozen different domains in the space and try to start like a bunch of different projects. And one of them was the Aspiring Pilot blog. And it's pretty much what it sounds like. And um, I just wanted to tell stories of different pilots, whether they were like um, private pilots or commercial pilots or airline pilots, and just interviewed a lot of different pilots and talk about aviation pioneers and so on, just to kind of inspire people about the aviation world. 
And um, I think I registered this one in sometimes in 2014 or 15. And it was one of the three different aviation domains that I that I registered within a month. There was the aspiringpilot.com. And about a month before that, there was how to become a pilot.net. And there was JulietPapa.com, which was um, which essentially stands for JP in the NATO phonetic alphabet and was meant mm-hmm. to stand for Japan and would have talked about um, aviation in Japan. But anyways, as for the aspiring pilot blog, um, I started the blog and I reached out to probably a couple dozen dozen like different pilots through LinkedIn and through their blogs and things like that. And I even got to interview one. And then I wrote a couple of different articles. So I posted those. Then the steam kind of ran out on this one as well. But the, the important thing here, though, is that um, even though I stopped with the aspiring pilot blog after just four or five posts, it was just um, three or four months after this that I started my current aviation blog, knaviation.net. And um, even though I've kind of been going between posting a lot and not posting as much, this later project has been on going on for like the past five years now, maybe. And it's led me to a lot of cool opportunities and things like that. So even though the Aspiring Pilot blog itself was a failure, I think in the bigger picture, it was one of the things that led me to starting my current aviation blog. So in that regard, I guess it was just a step on the way to what I consider a success in a way. Yeah. So that failure was, uh, even though on paper as a standalone item, it may be considered a failure, but like you said, it's literally just a stepping stone from onto something bigger. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's important to look at all these, like all, I, I'm sure that all of the projects, and I think this is pretty much the point of this, this episode is just all these projects that we consider to be a failure on their own, in their own vacuum. Like when you put them in the bigger picture of kind of your side hustle journey or whatever you want to call it, they all have their place. Some are more important than the others, but they all have, they all play some sort of role in the story, in the journey. That's a great point. Yeah. And I I think just, just to try to draw out a couple of learnings out of this, um, something specific that we can give to the listeners. One is, I think, um, you shouldn't be afraid to reach out to people. Like I had to reach out to a bunch of people to get the one interview, but it was still a good um, exercise in reaching out to people and in just trying to get people to get on board with your project. And um, even my, myself and I see a lot of other people too, just being afraid to ask. But in, in a lot of cases, the only thing standing between you and being able to do something, whether it's like an interview or covering some sort of event or having a meeting with somebody that's further along than you, a lot of times that the only thing that's standing between you and that thing happening is just you asking in a, I guess you could say in a smart way or in a way that um, also provides some value to the other side. But but really, 80% of it is just you asking and you asking enough times to actually succeed. Yeah. If you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah, I- exactly. And then I guess the other thing is just, yeah, like we already talked, it's just even if your project fails on the project level, always try to find some way to just take learnings out of it or take what you've done and apply it to some other project or maybe take the three articles that you wrote for that blog and post it on a different one. Like th- there's always ways where you can do something so that all the time that you spend on a project that failed wasn't wasted time. Yeah. And you can repurpose it into something else and it yeah, can still exactly. offer value elsewhere. By the way, guys, if you want to start your own blog or side hustle, 
the best way to do so is to visit a hosting website where you can buy a domain and hosting and get started on your own side hustle. And for that, we recommend Bluehost, which is a hosting service where all you do is you go in, you buy a domain, you buy hosting, and now you have your own website or blog so you can start taking concrete steps towards your hustle. So be sure to visit sidehustlesandstuff.com forward slash hosting to check out Bluehost and get started on your goal. Again, we recommend Bluehost as the kind of starter hosting if you haven't worked on any website up to this point. And probably if you get further along, there are other options as well. But if you just want to start your first website, then I totally recommend Bluehost, which um, which makes it really simple to set up a website. You just register, click um, install WordPress, and you're good to go. And it's just a couple dollars a month. And that's it. You, sh- you should definitely check it out. But any- anyways, let's go back to our failure series. So what's the next one? So the next one is story number five. And this was a project that I had with a friend. It was called reallybigcalendars.com. And the inspiration for this came from, I think I read somewhere online about the Jerry Seinfeld productivity calendar, where the whole thing was like, you know, if you have a calendar up on your wall, every day you take an action and you cross that day off. So after a whole bunch of days, you have a bunch of X's, a lot of days X'd out. And the goal is to not... Uh, break the chain and keep going. So well, actually, I remember also reading a, a Reddit AMA by Jerry Seinfeld, and he said that he never came up with that idea, which is <laughs> funny. But I, I kind of took that concept. I really liked, what if you had a really big calendar on your wall where you know the cells for each day are so big where you can write in three actionable things that you want to do today. So today is May 17th. You're like, all right, I have to do one, record a podcast, two, do my laundry, three, dry my hair. And then you cross those things out. And then you have the same type of action on the next day. So that was the premise. Friend and I started it. We had a blog going. We had some prototypes sent in from China. So we went quite a bit. I think prototypes cost between 40 and $70 just to print. Per piece? Yeah. Well, because we were buying one at a time. Oh, okay. And, th- and those were like erasable calendars no. or just big paper? That's a great question. They were not erasable, but the back was sticky. So the goal was to like stick it on. It's like a sticker. Stick oh, it on your wall. That's cool. How large were they? They were quite, I don't remember the size, but they were poster size. They were big. So like enough to cover, maybe your whiteboard would be a similar size, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like a, about a size of a window per se. <laughs> so we went through a few prototypes. I think each one was a little bit pricey between 40 and 70 bucks. And I was churning out content on the website about productivity. And we also actually had a willing first client that wanted calendars, which was fun. And there was like an individual or? Yeah, this was actually uh, my doctor. So like for, for the doctor's office, and they were really excited about that. And I did give them one of the prototypes to have. So I had, you know, proof of, I guess I had, I had the product client, potential client. <laughs> but my friend ran out of steam. And at the same time, we weren't quite sure of how to make it work like it was expensive to do one and we didn't have a lot of clients to produce more so it would ultimately be should we invest a lot of money and carry a lot of stock of these calendars and then try to sell them my friend lost steam and i guess i ended up losing steam too but again so those were the reasons for failure we just couldn't see how to make it profitable we had no experience with physical products we didn't know how to make it work or have next step plans so my lessons for this one again are like as always always have a what's the next step plan how do i escalate this into something bigger something i've not thought about too much 
also look for solutions. If I were to do this again, I think there are a lot of services that print it on the cheap. There are a lot of uh, printing services like website services where they will make it for you. And like I could just send a client the link or something or, you know. Yeah, exactly. I think they're called fulfillment fulfillment services. Yeah, like print on demand. I think there's there are some services where you can just upload the files and they just print it whenever somebody orders it. But but they're still pretty expensive. And I think especially with something like this, you'd probably still want to make at least a couple sets, uh, at least a couple hundred sets, I would assume would be the yeah kind of the so, minimum i think it was still a good idea just we didn't know how to make it work i, I think and, so uh, um, my friend lost steam and so did i when, so, when was this by the way was it this was probably 2015 2016 the previous one yokudeki was like 2011 2010 okay yeah because because i think a lot has changed in like the last few years in terms of different services offering like help with um, sourcing physical products from China and things like that. And even just going to Alibaba is so much easier now than it was like seven, eight years ago. Yeah. So I, I, I think doing physical products has become much easier since you guys were trying to do this. But um, it, it's still difficult in terms of trying to make it profitable, I guess, right? <laughs> Especially if you're trying to kind of bootstrap it and just do it a few at a time without committing too much money. Yeah. which can be really difficult. How much were you thinking of selling them for? Uh, we didn't know. <laughs> so yeah, there, there was a lot of things that we didn't really consider because yeah. ultimately the client would have to pay for each month, right? You get like a June, July, August, September, like each month is a, its own separate. Oh, each month is a separate thing. Okay. I thought it's like a kind of booklet that you, that you just... Oh no, like each one is a big poster. That's my failure in a way. So that's number five. So number six is yours. It's actually it looks quite interesting. Yeah, it's, it's kind of I, I just put it here because um, you were talking about physical products. So I thought I'd stick in one of my attempts at physical products as well. And th- this was five years back, I, I guess around the same time as your calendar. I was just browsing around the internet and I found this Slovak company. And being from Slovakia, I kind of decided to reach out to them. But what they were doing was they were manufacturing this um magnetic stickers that you could put on your smartphone Mm -hmm. and then you had this other side which was essentially a metal sticker that you could stick to something and you could easily touch your smartphone there and they also had like car attachments and things like that yeah i I saw it and i thought it's pretty cool idea so i just reached out to the guys and just to see if i could distribute it in japan and we started talking and we talked about the different conditions and like the minimum order quantity and the pricing and yeah, I, I still thought it was cool at that point, so I just got a got a couple of samples from them. But then my enthusiasm kind of ran out as soon as I saw the samples because um, the product looked really cool on pictures, and it looked really good on pictures because it was it kind of looked like it was blending in with the phone and it wasn't sticking out at all, and it it just looked like a really well designed product. But actually, when I got the samples, the sticker was like three millimeters thick or something, and it was really sticking out of your phone and it didn't look good at all so it kind of ended there um Hmm. it was a good experience and was kind of a fun project to work on for a while but um it never actually translated into any sort of sales or any sort of progress beyond just talking with the manufacturer supplier probably just a couple weeks because essentially it was just the i guess negotiation phase and just trying to figure out the pricing on the on the distributor side and um like what the quantities would have to be. And I was just trying to figure out like how much of them would I have to sell at what price to make any sort of reasonable money out of it and things like that. How long were you at it for? 
So, so it, it was really short-lived and never really took off the ground. But it, it was still a good experience. And um, one, it was a good exercise in just talking with suppliers and, and also in trying to kind of figure out how much sales you'd have to make to make profit and what the pre-unit cost would have to be, what the pre-unit price would have to be, what the margin would be, and things like that. But also it was kind of a good exercise in just knowing when to just cut a project. Because I, I guess I could have committed to it and ordered um, the first order and try to sell it. But at the end of the day, like I just really didn't like the product, to be honest. Like I, I loved the idea of the product until I saw the actual product. And I think nowadays there are much better products on the market that are very similar to this. And that just that just because the smartphone market has has gone long ways in the last five, six, seven years. But back then it was really like a smartphone magnetic holder 1.0. And it I, I just really didn't think it was a good product, even though it seemed good on the surface. Yeah, it looks like it had still some ways to go. Yeah, it, it had some ways to go. And I, I guess looking back, I'm also not sure if I was too committed to the project because um, the minimum the minimum order quantity was quite large. It was like 20,000 pieces for the first order. And then I think it was like batches of 5,000 or something. Yeah, imagine all of that lying around your house. Yeah, God, I, I have just, just, just the samples that I got that were laying around my house for like years. So... <laughs> So I don't know what I'd do with 20,000 of those. And the, the other thing is just looking back, um, back then, I guess it wasn't that easy, but um, if I was trying to do a similar project today, I'd just first look at um, manufacturing it in China because I'm pretty sure that's where they got it from. So essentially, I guess it would have gone from China to Slovakia to Japan, which just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I would just try to one, find, a, uh, find a manufacturer that could just supply me directly if I wanted to do something like that. And that would also give me the option of kind of just doing small tweaks to make it better and um, to turn it into something that I actually liked. But um, it also applies vice versa. So if I, if I had an idea for some sort of physical product that I wanted to design or make, I'd also probably first look for other companies that are making it and see if there's a chance to just distribute it rather than having to go through the entire product design process and things like that. So I think it worked both ways. And there's probably opportunities where you can go with the manufacturing route or with just the distribution route. I think it's just about doing the research. I'll keep this story in mind for whenever I try to launch a physical product in the future. And it's also kind of in my mind whenever I work with clients on some sort of physical products. At least based on um, some of our stories here, physical products are probably the hardest ones to get out. Yeah, exactly. And personally, just I just don't see much reasons for doing physical products beyond. It's nice to have something that you can actually touch and see but but as a business um i think i think it comes to personal preferences but personally i just like online stuff because because the friction is so much more yeah. yeah online stuff it's a lot easier to launch and pivot and you don't have uh stock or inventory that you have to deal with it's all digital yeah exactly it, it allows you to scale without scaling the mm -hmm. people behind it kind of so that was story number six number seven isn't um i wouldn't call it a hustle it was more so a side project with a friend. This was, I think, last year. <laughs> and so the whole thing is um, it's just comedy skits with a friend. As you know, I really like Mad TV, SNL. I grew up watching Mad TV a lot. And I write a lot of uh, scripts, ad scripts, video scripts. So I, every time I write stuff, I get really stupid ideas in my head, like really stupid product ideas that shouldn't exist. And I want to write scripts for them. 
So a friend and I, we got excited about the idea. Let's let's make comedy skits like Key and Peel. And we did the scripts. He had the camera. I did the editing. So we met up last summer. We shot one video. It was called <laughs> it was called MLM Success Stories. And the whole comedy <laughs> point is that there are no success stories in MLM. Even if you're a double platinum, whatever level seller. Well, <laughs> I guess that's why they call it a pyramid scheme. <laughs> There's money at the top, no money at the bottom. So yeah, so we filmed it. Um, I showed it to my acting coach and he was like, yeah, you guys clearly didn't know your lines because you're not really into the character. So I got some really good feedback from my acting teacher. I wanted to do another try, but my friend wasn't too interested in putting his face out there. And I think also the topic, MLM success stories is kind of, a, it's like it might offend some people, right? Because if some people are in MLM, they'd be like, oh, how dare you talk against me? <laughs> So we didn't put it out. I still have it up somewhere in private. So, so this is one of the side hustles or side projects that um, you just have sitting on your hard drives and that never saw the light of the day. Yeah. But it's one of these things where I kind of want to give it another crack because I still like the idea of writing funny advertisements or funny <laughs> scripts and then putting them out there. While I call this a failure, I still kind of see it as a stepping stone for something that I want to kind of keep at it. Yeah. So I guess the lessons here again are have a next step plan if your friend falls out or if he's not interested. It's again, with me, it's I think these themes are very similar, you know, have a next step, always find a way. How do I make this bigger and how do I keep on going if something goes wrong? Yeah, I, I think having some sort of set rhythm, whether it's and it doesn't have to be forever. Like when I was starting my aviation blog, I would just kind of post randomly. Then I would decide to do a post a day for like a couple of months and that's kind of when it grew the most. And then I would just decide to do one a week. And But but there always needs to be some sort of rhythm to it or some sort of plan, like you say. Um, yeah. just, just out of curiosity, um, how many of projects like this do you have where you kind of produce some sort of thing but never actually put it out there? Or you produced it like up to like 80% being done and then just put it on hold? Very few, I think. I'm quite good at publishing bad content. In this case, I think a video is a little different because, you know, it's your face out there. And when your face is out there, you kind of take on a whole new level of exposure. And it's, you know, it's like, again, it's easy to do it with a friend. It's hard to do it alone because you're like, you're out there. You're going to face criticism. You're going to face feedback that maybe you're not quite ready for. Or you're not, or you're still sensitive to. So I mostly publish a lot of my bad stuff anyway. In this case, this is probably the one time thing that like I have an unpublished piece of work like lying around, but I can't do it because, you know, out of respect for my friend. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because I, I was actually expecting um, the opposite answer because what I noticed with myself is um, I, I just have so many things where I just start doing it and like write a chapter for like I had this book about how to do accounting in Japan out of all things for like freelancers and I wrote maybe like half of the book and never published it and I have these different ideas where I just have essentially I have a folder that just projects on hold hmm. and I think the interesting thing is that even if you put something on hold every now and then I find myself going back to the folders either just to look if I can kind of revive the idea or just take something that I created for one idea and, and apply it to another project that I'm working on right now so I, I think I guess for me, part of the lesson here would also be that um, even if you put something on hold and never put it out, just go back to it every now and then. 
and see how you can revive it like you were mentioning. Yeah. I really like that concept of going back to old work. Um, like, especially on the creative level, there's a an example I like. There's a, you know, Dave Chappelle, right? The comedian? Yeah. I remember seeing one of his stand-ups, really old stand-ups, where he was talking about going into the, <laughs> again, where he was talking about going into the belly of the beast, a.k.a. the police station, to bail out his buddy. So... And this was, I think, an early stand-up. So the joke was there. It was funny. And then I remember seeing the very same joke, like on a, on a years later stand-up, where it was a lot tighter. It was a lot more polished and it hit harder. <laughs> but I think it kind of goes back to the concept of revisit your old ideas and sharpen them up. Because usually when you first put it out there, you don't. it's, it's only through experience, time and experience that you are able to see what you did wrong. And what you can improve. Yeah, so I really like that Dave Chappelle example about going back to old work. I can't find the video online now, but for some reason, I remember I saw it. Okay, so what do we have next? All right, next up, story number eight is your story, I believe. Oh, yeah, J Japanware. So that, as, as his name suggests, this was kind of supposed to be a project where, uh, where I'd take things from Japan and just ship them anywhere in the world, essentially. It was like a proxy buying service. And there, there's been a lot of those services in the U.S. where you could just um, order something from Amazon U.S. and have it shipped to a third-party kind of service provider who would then ship it to you. And he'd also consolidate the packages and things like that. So that was, it was sort of a Japanese version of that. And this one I started with a friend from high school, actually. Just like a true startup, we spent a day or so just planning it out in the basement of my house. Um, we had all the different plans to create this platform where we could have people order, ordering things and then we'd be shipping them at the back end and things like that. And this was back in 2014. Before we built the platform, I kind of just gave it a shot at um, as a small standalone project on eBay. So I would just find things in Japan, list them on eBay and sell them for profit. And I did that with like a Kindle or two and I think a couple other things. But then one of the things, so what, what I was doing back then was I'd list it first and after I sold it, I would buy it and ship it. One of the times, actually, the price to buy the thing increased after I sold the thing. So I made some loss there. And that's kind of what, what made me stop doing it going forwards mm -hmm. um, on kind of the individual level. But then also on the um, as a group with my high school friend, kind of the enthusiasm about the project kind of expired. So it never went further. Yeah, but it, it was still a good project. And it was... Again, it, especially the eBay part, it was nice to see that I could just take something. It, it was like a good old arbitrage, right? You find something for $70 here that costs 120 in the US. So you sell it for like $100 and make like $15, $15 mm -hmm. on the flip, essentially. And I think um, even though these opportunities are much harder to find today, I think there's they still are out there. And I'd say if, if somebody needs to make some money right away, trying to do something like this is probably in many ways better than trying to start a blog because, as you know, it just takes time for a blog to get any sort of traction, right? Yeah, months or years. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and here you just, if you find the right product, you can essentially start making some sort of money right away. So it can be kind of encouraging. So yeah, after, after, we, after I stopped this project, um, maybe three years later after this project, I bought a different domain where the idea was to bring things from Japan into Slovakia. But that thing was one of those where it just ended with a 
domain that I bought and never actually put into use. Oh uh, yeah, so, so that, that's kind of the story of Japaniware. Yeah, there's there's definitely some learnings there as well. And one was um, one would be just testing things at a small scale. Whenever people think about ideas, there seems to be some people that um, when I talk to them, it's like before they actually do something on a small scale, they start dreaming about doing it on a very large scale, which is great. But I also think you kind of have to first test the market. Like here, if we first build a platform and then we actually never... Um, and then we actually never ended up shipping anything. Then we would have wasted all that effort building the platform without even knowing whether there's people interested in this sort of service. Whereas there was this really easy way of testing the idea, which was just find something on Amazon Japan, look at look for it on like um, Amazon US or something, and see if there's a big enough price difference to make sense to buy it and ship it to the US. And it turned mm-hmm. out there was. So I, I, I just tested it, right? I never actually bought anything with my own cash upfront. I just found an item that was cheaper here, here in Japan and then listed it on eBay. And then once I sold it, I just bought it right away and shipped it to the US right away. So, so it, it, Oh, wow. So at least you did make some sales. Yeah, a couple hundred dollars in sales and probably like a few dozen dollars in profit. But um, yeah, it, it was a good way to test things. I'd probably encourage anyone if, if they want to start like a physical products business, don't really care about the profit in the beginning, just care about testing the market. And it, it kind of goes back to your calendars too. I think that's great what you've done there with the samples. It's like, even if you had to buy the first 10 at like $40 and sell them at 35, it's still probably better to have done that to just kind of, um, to just kind of see the interest than like buying a, buying a full order of 500 of them right away and then having your living room full of um, really, really big calendars, right? Yeah, that, that would have been a mess. Yeah, so, so I, I think, yeah physical products testing on a small scale or even not physical products i think even a lot of online ideas you can test on a small scale like yeah. i was listening to some podcasts the other day and there was this guy that um he now runs like a six figure a year like a podcast guest introduction service but the way it started was he just made a free google form that he just ran google ads to and that mm. people could sign up for him saying either i want to be on a podcast or I need somebody for my podcast. And then he kind of grew it into a newsletter and then he built a platform. But the platform came much, much later than like the basic kind of DIY infrastructure that was behind the business. But yeah, this company, um, it just started with a simple Google form that it ran Google ads to and then went to a newsletter and the like the really cool platform that you would imagine when you think of like a tech startup that came much, much later. So all it needed was a simple ad in a simple form without making any products, really. Exactly. All all they had was just a promise, and they just took that promise and put it in front of people. And somehow it kind of turned into success. And I I guess they had a lot of... um, Part of their success was the fact that if you're on a podcast, you're likely both a guest and a podcaster. Because like with a lot of these marketplaces, you have it's really hard balancing the demand and supply in the beginning. But for those guys... Mm-hmm. because the demand was also the supply. Like just by growing their email list, they were naturally just growing both sides of the equation. And that's what kind of helped them succeed. Yeah, that's a very that's a very clever approach. Yeah, that, that was a really, really clever approach. So yeah, I think that's kind of the first learning out of this. And the other one is um, the idea of idea versus execution, so to say, I guess. And um, yeah, si- since then, I've a lot of these kind of proxy services have popped out and there's what I 
they're all private, so I'm not sure, but there's also what I believe are like multi-million dollar companies doing essentially what I was planning to do here. But guess who's putting the money in their pocket? And it's definitely not me. So I think the the other lesson is um, ideas are good, but um, if you fail at executing, then ideas are essentially worthless. Hmm. And I kind of see that be a recurring theme in like many of my side hustles and also many of um, kind of business ideas that I hear from other people. It's like very common, yeah. Well, it, I have an exactly, idea. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's easy to talk about ideas. You want to hear my idea? Do you want to invest in my idea? I think it's a million dollar idea. Don't steal my idea. It, exactly. There is nothing worse than somebody being afraid of telling somebody else their idea without like an NDA or something. Yeah, because you know, it's, like, it's one thing to have an idea. <laughs> it's a completely other thing to do. It's like don't steal my idea. Do you know how hard it is to steal your idea and work on it? Exactly. I, I had this guy that I was working with. I was doing some research for him. And then at one point, he's like, oh, I want you to sign an NDA that says any idea that we discuss, you can't pursue or you can't um, talk about to anybody else. So I'm like, yeah. Um, again, I think we agreed to keep this podcast child friendly. So I'm not going to say what I was thinking, but I, what I wrote was essentially something along the lines of, yeah, sorry, I'm a big believer in execution or ideas. So no. Well, it's still a good lesson, you know, definitely, definitely a very common one. It's very easy to have ideas. It's a little harder to make them happen. Yeah. And again, this is also, this is not to put down ideas. I think ideas are important, but um, ideas in themselves are just like ingredients that you, you kind of have to do something with them to make them valuable. They're just the raw materials. And what what you make out of those raw materials really depends on the people that are behind it rather than just the idea itself. So value your ideas, but um, also make sure that you actually execute on them. Because that's the really challenging part, I'd say. Yeah. And it definitely kind of relates to my next story, number nine. Also involving a physical product, but also not getting very far. So it was... um, Basically, T-shirts. I same coworker. Um, we both have like a design scheme, and the design scheme is called "Delivering the Wham." That I made up. It's just something that came to my head. Where basically, it's like if you imagine lettering in such bold, big font that you can't help but not notice it. It kind of hits you in the face, right? Delivers the wham. So, this is kind of a style that we used for our stuff. And I always liked it. And I was like, when I would give him feedback, I'd be like, yeah, that delivers the wham. That does the job. Basically, it smacks the person across the face. Was this kind of the t-shirts that are pretty popular nowadays? Where just like a message across the front that says like, hustle every day or... Yeah, in big letters. In big letters. So it's maybe it's not a new idea, but for some reason I had this idea. I felt like I could do it. Just, you know, put some cool messaging in big font on a shirt that's easy to read and very easy to notice. And with that, I also, you know, I threw up a blog, posted a bunch of articles on shirts, but I had no real knowledge of how to go from the idea of having shirt products to actually the execution. I guess it's quite simple now. You just, you look up any of those fulfillment websites that do shirts, but I had some like crazy standards for my shirts because I really like the H&M V-necks that are form-fitting. And of course, all the ones that are provided by the fulfillment sites, they're not probably the best quality, but you know, it doesn't matter when you're first starting. But I was stuck over that. 
and I didn't know how to make it happen. So I gave up on the blog quite easily. I knew how to do the blog stuff, but I had no idea how to make the shirts happen. Again, I guess it ties back to no experience with physical products. I also was not too serious about it. You know, it was just, oh, hey, I have this cool idea. Let me try it out. And it didn't really last long. I don't remember how long it lasted for. I definitely bought the domain and worked on it for a little bit. The reason for failure was, I guess, not enough interest. It was just like a spur of the moment idea. Just no idea of how to go from idea to execution with a physical product. So I guess also a lesson would be here, like, you know, again, always have a what's next plan. A very recurring theme for me. Yeah, I think it's also a recurring theme for me as well for many of the projects is... um. With um, I think with the internet, it's really easy to start projects, right? And I think that's um, that's part of the reason why. Like also the reason why we can list ten failed projects here and probably have many more in the background that we don't talk about um, on this podcast is just because it's so easy to start projects, and when something's really easy to start, it's also really easy to fail. Yeah. So I think a lot of times it's putting the cart ahead of the horse, and it just. You buy the domain, you get really excited, you put up the site and you start making designs, but then you kind of stop and look back and you realize you had no plan for, okay, so I make these designs, what am I going to do next? Where am I going to buy the shirts? And and what's going to be the plan for like the next month, two months, four months, six months? Yeah, I think it's it, it just really easy to start something in the spur of the moment yeah. with the internet and with all the different services that are now out there for like, um, whether it's print on demand for shirt or just really easy to start a blog, start a podcast. And like this one, we started in just a couple of hours. So I think it's then much easier to actually fail fail projects because of the lack of some sort of what's next plan. That is a very good point. It's very easy to start, but you know the ease of start makes it also very easy to fail and quit. And this also comes back to one of our things where we were talking about why you should start a side hustle is because it's so easy. Like when you look back 30, 40 years, like to start a business, you actually needed to put in what are tens of thousands of dollars and a lot of your time. But to start a business today, all you got to do is pay $50 for a domain and then and then just put in some time to to get it going, right? So I think the barrier to entry is so much lower. Mm. But because of that, also the barrier to exit is just so much lower. Like you have nothing to lose if you stop a blog like a week after you started it. Started it. Whereas if you started like a brick and mortar restaurant 30 years ago, or even today, and you pour like tens of thousands of dollars into remodeling it and making sure everything's in place and hiring people and things like that, you can't just quit overnight, right? So I, I think that's what makes, that's what essentially makes it seem like we're failing a lot, but it's in, in a way just jumping from project mm. to project and kind of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. So yeah, I think that's it for this one. And um, let's go to the last one then. I, I believe it's the last one. Yeah, the last story, 10, story number 10. This is a big one. This is, this is jumbo-sized. Yeah, so so in in this one, and this is a story that I get excited about a lot. Um, like a few years back, what I tried to do is I tried to charter a jumbo jet, like a Boeing seven four seven, like li- literally chartered a plane. Wow! And um, essentially, it was an aircraft that was about to retire, and a lot of aircraft enthusiasts wanted to fly it, so I tried to charter it. And uh, I think I was doing it together with a friend. But the the goal was to collect fifty thousand dollars, in which case the flight would go ahead. And if we didn't, then the flight would be canceled. Yeah, so since we were putting it on this list, the flight didn't go ahead. But at the same time, it was just one of the most inspiring projects that I've done in my life. The reason being, um, one, I put up a very simple sales page with like different types of seats, so like window seat, business class window, and economy window, middle seat, and so on. 
two, I shared it on my Facebook page for my aviation thing and created like a landing page for it. And within like a, within 24 hours, we, we were channeling the money to my friend's PayPal account. But um, within 24 hours, there was like $10,000 in that account. Can you believe that? I, I couldn't believe it. I'd be scared to have that much money out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Just go to sleep, you wake up, and there was $10,000 in the account. And it was kind of, kind of when I was like, oh, wow, this internet thing can work. <laughs> and, and then within a week, we were up to like $30,000. And like, it, it was just insane. Like, it went slightly viral within the community, and like, the amount of money was crazy. Unfortunately, we didn't reach the $50,000, so we had to cancel it and we had to refund all the $30,000 or so. And you know that it, you know it's a lot of money when actually the refund fee is quite a decent amount of money too. <laughs> so we actually lost money on this project. But um, it, it was a great learning because one, just um, it, it just made me, again, it just made me realize that if you find the right sort of like product market fit, they're just a really big part of the success. Like here we had something that the aviation enthusiasts really wanted. And by wanted, I mean, they were willing to fly to Malaysia from like Australia and the United States and Europe and Japan and all different places of the world. They were just willing to fly to Malaysia for like this one, one hour flight. Right. So this was like something that they really, really wanted. And, and if you have that sort of product market fit, then that's just like, that gets you halfway to the success. And then too, like, even if you succeed, you can still fail. So I, I kind of take this as half success, half failure. Because um, I think just the fact that we were able to raise like $30,000 within a few days, like it's, it's hard not to call that success, even though it didn't reach the goal in the end and it eventually failed. And, and That's huge. I'm surprised you did not hit 50K if you were able to reach 30K in a week. Yeah, it, it kind of started losing steam. And I guess the market's also kind of limited. And um, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and and also some of the, it might have been a, looking looking back, it's probably also like a pricing thing. Like some of the seeds were sold out really fast. Like everybody wanted the business class seeds and everybody wanted a window seed, but then nobody wanted like a middle seed in the middle section, right? So there might have been some pricing lessons to be learned as well. Maybe that's something I should look back at. Yeah. So even if you succeed, you can still fail, and then. The third would be that um, looking back, I don't think I would do the project again. Because even though it was a great experience and all, I think just the amount of money we would have made out of the project and just the risk, just the balance was way off in terms yeah. of like taking too much risk for too little reward. Like it would have been the coolest thing to do. But at the same time, if something went wrong, like if the aircraft um, broke and the flight never took place or like if the weather was so bad that the flight couldn't, go ahead or something like that we'd have like hundreds of people from like all over the world with nothing to do in malaysia and it's just a lot of responsibility to take on and th that's something that um i also kind of learned when but those i consider success but i ran a couple of tours to iran and to i even did a tour to north korea once but um where i took different people yeah. with me and th that was kind of similar in terms of the risk versus reward like, while it was really enjoyable, it was also a lot of risk, right? So I kind of stopped doing that, partly for that reason. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't do it again. But looking back, it was one of the most sort of defining moments in my, like, online business journey, in a way. We were talking last time about just making your first cent online, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's really where you go, like, oh, wow, this is possible. 
and then yeah. this was like having ten thousand dollars overnight and that's where you go like that, that's where you go like oh wow if i can do something like this then if i just find something else that will, will work out that's of this scale you've got a real business here sort of thing yeah that's a you definitely saved the best for last here and that was uh that was a jumbo sized type of story, like, you know, chartering a jumbo jet, getting $10,000 in 24 hours, 30. The more money that came into the account, the more it was like, oh, wow, people are really actually paying for this and want to do this. And it's a lot of responsibility growing right in yeah. front of your eyes, just as the money grows. But yeah, and, and just, just to put, just to throw one last lesson in here, it's like all we had to start this project was um, a little bit of audience and the sales page that looked like something that a high school kid could make probably in their IT class. It was just like a couple of PayPal buttons on a page. And we just merged those two with something that the people really wanted. And it just went crazy. So I, I, I guess the point being, when you try to start your project, don't overthink things like design or like um, the technology behind it, or do I have the right payment processing platform or do I have this, do I have that? Just focus on having the the perfect offer for the perfect people for you and on putting that offer in front of those people. And most things will just take care of them. That's like marketing and advertising summed up in one sentence. Yeah. Put the right offer in front of the right audience at the right time. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, I've never found something that would fit so well since I've did this, yeah. but I'm still searching for it. And I'm That's sure a, it's something like out there. That lightning, in cap capturing lightning in a bottle type of... Uh, situation one of those rare instances where everything aligns yeah exactly and, and if nothing else just makes for a cool story so. <laughs> guys if you remember nothing else out of this entire possibly hour-long podcast just remember these four things number one it's important to keep going and trying things systematically to see what sticks to the wall and not worry too much about success or failure because success and failure are just the results of trying you try one thing one thing works another thing doesn't work it's just part of the process. Number two, don't give up too early, but at the same time, don't be afraid to shelf projects. Number three, even with big ambitions, you should test on a small scale because why, Keishi? Yeah, because you just don't want to end up with a pile of really big calendars or really useless um, smartphone magnetic stickers in your living room. Yeah, that you can't sell and you've dumped a lot of money on. And number four, I guess it's the all-encompassing general message that you might have heard before. Nothing good comes easy. As you probably have understood, a lot of these projects were easy to start and also at the same time, easy to fail. So, you know, if if it's hard, if it's if you're going through ups and downs, probably worth it at the end. No, no start is perfect. No, nothing good comes easy. So we hope these stories inspired you and also gave you some ideas of what might go wrong when you start a hustle. And again, the whole point is don't look at this as, oh, wow, look at these guys. They did some great stuff. The whole point is some of these things were so super simple, like starting a blog, recording a song, that you probably did some of these things yourself. So you might think, oh, wow, they did that. I did that. I'm not too far off. Maybe I could start my own side hustle too. And you can. So if you want to start your own side hustle, if you want to start a website or a blog, be sure to visit sidehustlesandstuff.com forward slash hosting where to try out Bluehost. It's a service where you can buy a website and start your blog and start taking concrete steps towards your goal or whatever you want to put out in the world. And last thing, if you're not failing, then you're probably not trying. Yeah, if you're not failing, you're probably not trying. 
And also, if you're not failing, you're not making any progress. So just take the first step. And just one last thing. If you want a really big calendar, give a call to Yuri. Maybe he's got some in his living room. This has been the Side Hustles and Stuff podcast, episode three, now available on Spotify, Google, and YouTube, among other places, Apple soon. So be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for the next episode. This is Yuri and Keishi from Side Hustles and Stuff podcast. Checking out. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening and talk to you later. All right.